0: Is it time for a break? Meet you in the Tea Room. The Tea Room is the podcast for GPs, where we talk about what matters most in general practice and what you're currently curious about. From the Medical Republic, I'm Wendy John. Thanks for joining me. The ratio of GPs to doctors in other specialisations is not great. The RACGP's Health of the Nation report last year reveals record low interest in graduates choosing to be a GP. Only about 15% of final year medical students were choosing general practice as their first preference specialty. It's the lowest proportion since 2012. And when talent is in low supply, how can you as a clinic owner come out on top of the pack in attracting candidates for your clinic? Dr Todd Cameron is a GP and a businessman. In the past, he's owned medical practices that have expanded to the point of IPO and being publicly listed on the ASX. Now he helps other GPs who are clinic owners to grow their own businesses through his medical business consultancy, Scale My Clinic. Dr. Cameron has joined us in the tea room earlier this year on one of our highest-rating episodes, so I've invited him back to join me for a cup in the tea room again today. I reckon he might know a bit about this topic. How do you recruit GPs better? Let's find out. Thanks for joining us, Dr. Todd Cameron.
1: Thank you, Wendy. A pleasure to be back. Yeah, this is a really big issue and has been for a long time. You know, just to add to the figures that you were talking about there, with 15% of graduates choosing general practice as a career, the other reality, and this is actually an expression of gratitude for the people that have taken up the opportunity, but since about 2016, the number of GPs that received their primary qualifications in a country other than Australia has been more than 50% of all GPs. So I think it's somewhere between 52 and 54% of GPs that were trained overseas. And I think it's really important to say that without that cohort, Bray would be absolutely screwed. But quite literally, our policy in Australia has been to import to uh, make up for our mistakes with the way that we have uh, allocated resources internally. We know that primary care is super important in terms of having equitable access to care and having a low cost and high quality health system. So it has been a real shame. And going into the pandemic, if I go back one step, 2018, the federal government, believe it or not, had a budget policy, which included clamping down on doctors that wanted to migrate to Australia to work because they said that they would save money on MBS expenditure, so coming into the pandemic, they already tightened the screws on people emigrating, and uh, or rather immigrating. And what that meant was that when the pandemic came about, you had this huge squeeze. No doctors moving from overseas, less doctors moving within Australia, a really low number of graduates from medical school wanting to do general practice. It's really the perfect storm, and and I don't think many people would have seen it worse than what it is right now.
0: Well, I think one of the problems with trying to bring people from overseas to fill the lack of strategic thinking around workforce planning for GPs is that sometimes it creates a brain drain in the countries that they are coming from, that a lot of the people who are staffing our hospitals and our clinics have great needs in their own countries for GPs as well.
1: Yeah, I absolutely agree. And furthermore, I think it's based on a flawed assumption that Australia will always be an attractive destination. That may not continue to be the case. And so somebody else could easily step in and being the employer of choice as people increasingly become mobilised globally around this and and we're increasing the barriers to doctors migrating and working here it's much more complex and much more costly than it has been in the past so i would not be surprised to see us slipping down the rankings and therefore this becoming a really dire circumstance
0: what are some of the drivers for gps to move to a new job or stay in their current role so that's kind of the background around this whole recruitment landscape
1: yeah um it it it, really is a circumstance and I think again the pandemic has kind of supercharged this to a degree where you know doctors run their own businesses in in most cases they're a sole trader or incorporated medical practice and so they are literally business owners And, you know, you could have been passive going back a few years and probably done okay even with a clinic that wasn't particularly good at innovation, whereas in the current environment, you really would be moving backwards without innovating. You know, uh, telehealth, as an example, has put a lot of pressure on logistics, making sure that we get all of those things that are the output of consults, you know, be those scripts, referrals, pathology requests, imaging requests, et cetera, they need to get to the right destination and to the patient. certificates, work cover, Centrelink, all that stuff needs to get to the right destination. So if you weren't focusing on innovation, doctors will find that they're doing an increasing amount of unpaid administrative work, that really they've been paying others to do. And so there's probably a sense of frustration building up in some places where clinics are a bit passive, not doing all the work that they promised or said they would do. They're not doing anything in the way of marketing to recruit the right patients or new patients. And particularly this big move away from bulk billing to private billing is going to mean that your practice has to stand out as a premium environment for you as an individual doctor to stand out as a premium.
0: How does a clinic stand out as a premium workplace for new candidates.
1: Yeah I don't think there's a, there's not a really a simple answer to that but you know if you think about the reasons why you join any workplace you know remuneration is often what gets your attention but culture is what keeps you somewhere so making sure that there is an attractive culture, there is mutual respect, that you feel that your time is used wisely and respectfully, that the clinic itself puts doctors front and centre. You know, my personal view is that if you wanted to build a great GP clinic, then you really should start with the GPs. Even though your primary purpose is to serve the community, if you don't have GPs that love serving that community, then nobody really benefits from that. And so there are quite a lot of little things in behind this. You know, building an environment where people can work from anywhere, I think is going to be increasingly important for people if they want flexible work arrangements there are quite a few elements that go into having a great workplace at the Mm. moment.
0: One of the other key drivers for in general, not just for general practitioners, a key driver for retention in a role or attraction to a new role is career development opportunities, the opportunity to grow, learn, progress, investigate those things that you're interested in your career. How does that translate in a GP clinic?
1: Yeah, there may be non-clinical opportunities within practices. And so, for example, that may be leadership, medical director type roles. It may be clinical leadership. It may be a role as a GP registrar supervisor. There may be other roles that people take on that, you know, having responsibility for business subunits. That might be something like occupational health or it might be a skin clinic. And so it could be that there are areas that are outside of direct patient consulting remuneration and the main thing around that is that if you are going to do something like that you need to make sure you get the appropriate legal and accounting advice such that you know you don't create any sro payroll tax issues for yourself in the way that you engage doctors in those different roles
0: Mm, because that could be seen as an employee rather than a contract worker absolutely is it something that needs to go into a recruitment advertisement a job ad that there's opportunities to specialize in certain areas of general practice and opportunities to advance your career. How do you frame that up? Is the job ad the king way of attracting recruits?
1: Yeah, this is a really good question. The, the way we look at recruiting is that it's easy to think that recruiting, and this is key people in any organization, GPs are probably the most scarce. And so we tend to focus on them, but really good practice managers, practice nurses, reception. The theory is the same. If you treat it as an HR problem or an HR opportunity, then you're probably going to fail most times. What do you mean? Whereas if you see it as a marketing problem to solve, then you're much likely to get a better outcome. Um, um.
0: Right, right. But how is that not just dressing up something as attractive? <laughs> uh, yeah, it's a good question. I've, I've been on plenty of first dates in my past where, you know, marketing has had a powerful influence in getting me, but there's not much to back it.
1: <laughs> the uh the false the false promise yeah well i think the, the first thing is you do need to get eyeballs on your opportunity and the type of funnel activity so that the way that we get an audience that is going to look at that needs to be really really broad because what you want is you want to be able to choose from the best out in the marketplace and it needs to be said that these people aren't actually looking for work in many cases so doctors aren't sitting at home It's not like there's a cohort that are unemployed. There might be some that are underemployed that could do a little bit more, but mostly there are people that are either kind of disgruntled, they're frustrated and they're actively considering alternatives. And then there's a group that are kind of not that annoyed yet, but don't really know how much better life could be outside. So the first bit of content you need to do has to be fairly brief because, you know, attentions are reduced anyway, but when you have a pandemic they're further reduced, so you need to have something that is attention-grabbing out there and authentic. You know, people are going to research you by looking at you on your website, they're going to look at you on social media, so, you know, it's pretty important that you are authentic and it's not that hard for them to contact other doctors that are a part of your team or, or ring the clinic. So, you know, it, it's really super important that when you are promising something, that you follow through and that you're known for, you know, your word is your bond.
0: And I guess every clinic has got its own unique selling point, I guess, to use that, that marketing term. Every clinic has got something or some things that make them different yep. from the other clinic that will make them the perfect place for someone to work. And it's sort of having that investigation in well, what is it about us? What is it about who we are, our demographic, what we find important, how we work together, that's going to make us pop to the right person.
1: I think one thing that we're not very good at as clinicians, because, you know, mostly I'm going to say clinicians are nice people. That's an inverted commas. Whatever your USP is or whatever your kind of your main cultural asset is should attract people, but it should also repel people. It should repel the people that are not part of your, you know, your future of your practice.
0: Right. I'd never thought of it that way before.
1: Yeah, you know, so here's part of the challenge. People get so desperate to recruit somebody that their criteria becomes a pulse and a medical degree.
0: <laughs> this, this sounds like dating again.
1: <laughs> well, it, it kind of is dating with the exception that you need to be super honest at all of the contact points with your prospects, but also in between feeding people information that's both verifiable and able to be cross-checked with others. Uh, But, yeah, you you do need to polarise people because what happens is people want to appeal to everybody, but in doing that, they kind of appeal to nobody. So, really, we're just better off to say, I want somebody exactly like this, and if you're like this, you're not right for
0: us. Wow. How much should clinic owners focus on retention rather than recruitment?
1: Uh, well, you know, if you're not focusing on retention, you know, that's like trying to fill a, a bucket up that's got more holes drilled in it than you're pouring water in the top. So it's super, super important to get your retention right. And again, those new doctors are going to talk to your existing doctors, if not before they start, certainly after they start. So it's a super costly exercise to have people come in, join and then leave. You know, we really want to avoid that if at all possible. But unfortunately, it is part of you know life in business that there is turnover of. Of people and, and you know a certain amount of turnover is healthy.
0: Yeah, it is, and it's also possibly another podcast topic down the track later in the year because that is like you say, if there's a hole in the bucket, you're putting all your time and energy into recruiting all the time rather than working out what it is to have a bit better retention. Let's pull back to actual recruitment, the actual task of recruiting GPs. Mm-hmm. Could you run us through your top key strategies? doing that
1: well? So we did some work on this and experimented with recruitment funnel in Project X and it took a lot of iterations to get this to a point where I'd say it's right and it was 22 steps.
0: Sorry what was Project X?
1: Project X is a group that we uh, so Sky My Clinic is the group that Satya and I set up but Project X is the name of the group coaching that we put together. So we're members join us, they actually join Project X. So we work with some members in there to build this recruiting funnel. And it sounds complex because there are 22 pieces to it, but essentially it comes down to a funnel. So you've got top of funnel activity, which is really organic marketing and paid marketing. And that's really about getting people's eyes on the opportunity and having a really, really nice, neat way of articulating what the opportunity is for them and who it is you're looking for and not for. And we can do that through this sort of, broadly speaking, three ways of doing content. There's short form and long form written, and then there's a, a short video. So the video should be 60 to 90 seconds at most, and you can put GIFs in there and things like that for your organic content. You want to have some paid ads as well with this because you, this just helps you get more eyeballs on the work that you're doing. And one important thing with content, you know, doctors aren't great at this because we tend to be perfectionists, but quantity is very, very, very much more powerful than quality. So you just need to put out a lot of content. And it's really easy to think, that's okay, I'll just give my recruiting over to uh, an agency. And that might be a viable parallel approach. But there's a story from uh, Keith Cunningham's book, The Road Less Stupid, where he said he was at a dinner party and somebody there said, "You know the problem with having your own cook at home. Do you know the problem with that is." And they were all thinking, "What? What? What could be the problem with that?" The person said the problem is you can only eat what the chef knows how to cook. And the same thing applies to people that are actually agencies for recruiting. You can obviously only get the doctors that they have on their books. And you want to be a little bit more broad than that because that's people that are actively looking. And as I said, there are some people that are kind of frustrated but not yet looking. They're the ones that you really want to get to as well. And so having some really broad top of funnel activity to get eyeballs on your content is really important when people make an inquiry it's super important to be as fast as possible with your response times all of us know when we have a problem or we make an inquiry we are most impressed by speed and because you know people are going to inquire be it via email text or you might use a jot form or a type form for an application process it should be that the. First response email is pre-written and it should have more content. So we usually have a seven or eight minute video in there, which covers off on, you know, a little bit about the layout, people, the focus of the practice, the community, et cetera, et cetera, what type of remuneration and so forth. And then the objective from there is to get people to a triage call, which we usually do on Zoom, just because it's super convenient. With 15 to 20 minutes, you can get a good idea about somebody's cultural fit, whether they feel like they're a yes or a no for the next step. And the next step then is an on-site visit. And again, you know, when you're doing an on-site visit, it should be like when you're at university and you get the call that they're going to do an inspection of your rental property. Everything is, is in <laughs> as good a condition as possible. Or maybe it's a first date. You know, you're sort of making... That's uh, right. in- as nice as possible. And, you know, that you're prepared for that person when they come in, not just you, but the whole practice. And they're being really focused on kind of closing that deal as quickly as possible, making sure it's a really super appealing offer. I often ask doctors that are recruiting, would you take the offer that you have in the marketplace at the moment? It's amazing the number of people who say, actually, you know what, I probably wouldn't. So you are going to need to make sure that you have an appealing offer. And they're all the kind of pieces that need to go together. And the activities in between those are important to make sure that you uh, you make people feel at home and you answer all of the questions that they have either before they ask it or it's immediately available when they do.
0: Do you know, I have been asked that question in an interview, would you accept this role if it was offered to you this week? And I actually answered I don't know and they didn't offer it to me. So that's, I think it was, I was off guard and it's a really good question to ask. So you talk about what you've just spoken about then you want eyeballs on your clinic. That's not just for a job role advertisement. That's in general, creating content, which just, to be honest, it sounds exhausting uh, when someone's <laughs> been seeing patients all day. But, look, we'll leave it as that, that eyeballs, getting content out, getting social media, uh, digital footprint, then having a funnel where people are, you're attracting the right people, you're attracting and repelling the wrong people with, what you are saying about your clinic and the role. And then you're having a bit of a, a quick, well, not a quick, but you're having a short Zoom conversation to do a check, give people an opportunity to ask questions, give them a chance to see you and you them. And then you've got the first date, the, the rental inspection, when they come on in and, yeah. and have a big meeting and yeah. dig in a bit deeper to what's going on.
1: That's about right. And I think, you know, you, you said it sounds exhausting. It's not easy but it's also not hard with the right pieces. I think the thing to keep in mind here is it's exhausting not to do it. So a business that can't recruit or can't grow is not really a business because you've only got a job for yourself then. And that's not a particularly sustainable future.
0: That's exhausting in itself. You're quite right. Now, rural recruitment is especially hard. Any advice?
1: Yeah, I, this, this sounds a bit controversial, and we work with practices in every state, territory, rural, etc. The, the drive to people moving more rurally has probably never been stronger. You know, a lot of people have thought, maybe I don't want to be in these crowded places during a pandemic Uh, Maybe I want a bit more space. Maybe I want to be able to buy a bit more with my money. Maybe I'm sick of traffic. And so I do think there are some themes that you can jump on. You know, there has been a fairly substantial migration out of cities. That is, is clear. The trick with the rule is you need to answer the questions that people have. So your marketing needs to first be about the destination, So, you know, the copy should focus on things like, well, if you're coming from, if your nearest big city is Sydney, if you spend X amount of money for the average home in Sydney, you get this. But if you're in this area, you get this and you might have an image of both. You know, you want to talk about things like schools. You want to talk about things like opportunities for employment, for partners, because these are all the things that people think about. Where are my kids going to go to school? What job will my partner do? What type of property can I have? What type of lifestyle can I have? And I think they're the things that we need to start looking at because that's what makes these type of practices much more appealing.
0: Todd, are you putting that in your promo video for the role?
1: If it's for a rural location, I
0: absolutely would. Mm, interesting. I think that is relevant for places like, you know, Mudgee or Noosa, Longreach, you know, at the back of Bert Roma. They are not as appealing for city dwellers as somewhere that is coastal or a wine region or a tree change. You know, there's a, I guess, but I guess the same rules apply. You've got to show what the advantages are of living in a rural country town. And there's so, there's so many, but we miss that.
1: You have to be a bit flexible about this. So, for example, if you had a location like Longreach or Roma, where you thought, you know what, when I've done my research on who does work here, most people don't work here. So then you might actually target city doctors that own light aircraft because they want a way of making their light aircraft tax deductible. You've just got to think laterally about who is it And this is where who you're for and not for is super important. If you say we want doctors that either own a helicopter or a light aircraft or they aspire to and they can't afford it where they are, there has to be some kind of a hook. You might do three days of work, which gives you the same return as what you would get in six days somewhere else. So you could have a three-day fly-in, fly-out lifestyle. It's just got to be super clear about what makes it attractive to somebody who would choose that and you can learn that by interviewing the people that are currently doing it why do they choose that what do they love about it you know they're not silly they've made an active choice at some time to do that and so you just need to do some customer research here and understand your avatars really well
0: to find out the people who are doing it in other locations and what the benefits are for them what what the turn-ons for them are to do that that's very interesting doctors who own planes doctors who want a helicopter license.
1: <laughs> Sounds appealing. Already I might actually go and apply for long Longreach or RU. <laughs> I,
0: I think so too. <laughs> that's, that's amazing. Oh, that, that's, the idea has quite blown my mind. It's a very different approach, very different approach. And now these strategies are potentially just cannibalising talent in our dwindling sector look
1: everything's a competition isn't it in the end you know we're we're here to see uh so my my personal focus is about getting general practice back as the gravitational center of the health system which is where i think it needs to be and in order to do that it needs to thrive We, we need to be driving great opportunities for gps and then it's up to GPs to make the choice that's right for them. That's the only way that we can do this. And if we don't make jobs really sexy and appealing for people, the number of graduates from medicine is just going to dwindle below 15% and it will be unrecoverable. So it's super important that we just do our best to make these jobs super sexy and awesome and attract the best talent there. I think that will bring people in below as well. They'll be telling other people, hey, this is a kick-ass career. Get into it.
0: You can have a helicopter licence and make a tax deductible. <laughs> That's a good that's a good option. Uh, just to swing back just quickly on the rural recruitment. So a lot of doctors might wish to work rurally, but to buy or run a general practice is becoming less and less attractive. You know, the AMA have have stated that quite clearly. And I, I think the 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 National Rural Health Alliance was looking at offering rural GP salaried roles by amalgamating local primary and allied healthcare services and, you know, trying to push to cut red tape so that GPs can work in local rural hospitals as well as their own clinic a bit more easily, you know, non-restrictive credentialing. Where is that at? Is that something that you think is being progressed in the industry?
1: I think there's kind of two levels with this. There's a local tactical level, and then there's a uh, you know a more strategic, high level approach to it. I think this is where people that are advertising locally, you know, they understand where things are at. But it can be really easy to fall into the if-when trap. So if this comes across the line, I'll do some marketing and advertising. You just need to be doing that all the time. And, and as you said, it, it does require a commitment. The thing that wins in business is consistency just as in sport or in life. And so you just have to regularly show up as talking about your community, the reasons why people might want to come and join you. And then part of those other conversations might be where you see these other opportunities might come up, but until they're kind of locked and loaded, they don't exist. The theoretical stuff, you can wait forever for people to land a solution that sounds like it's going to work and it still needs to be tested in the real world anyway.
0: Mm. Any final advice on doing recruitment of GPs better?
1: Don't give up on it. I think, you know, in order to, so copywriting is a part of this. In order to write copy, you need to protect time and you need to have time that you are not distracted. So, you know, just make sure that you do organise some time to get these thoughts out and be creative. I think the other thing is you need to just fall in love with this part of your job a little bit. You can't be a business owner and not be up for recruiting people. It's just anathema to say that doesn't interest me. You're really just a self-employed person there.
0: Thanks so much for joining us today, Todd. Really appreciate your time.
1: Pleasure, Wendy. Uh, thank you for having me back on.
0: That was Dr. Todd Cameron, co-founder of Scale My Clinic. I'm Wendy John. Thanks for joining me in the tea room. If you've enjoyed this episode, you can search for us on your favourite podcast player and subscribe. Leave us a review if you like. If you have any news tips or want to chat, you can email me at Wendy wendyatmedicalrepublic.com.au. The Tea Room is a production from the journalists at the Medical Republic. Visit us at medicalrepublic.com.au to keep up to date with all the latest news and views in general practice. And while you're there, make sure you subscribe to our newsletter. We love to keep you informed. Thanks for tuning in.